0: So have you ever embarked on a journey that you knew in advance, hopefully you knew in advance, was going to be long and difficult and your chances of succeeding were, you know, not fully assured? So if you're in this room and you're married or you're having kids, you could say yes to both of those, right? Because you're on a journey. About three years ago, many of you probably already know this, but about three years ago, I got it in my head that I was going to embark on a journey that I wasn't sure I was going to be able to complete, but I hoped I would. I decided that I would ride my bicycle 418 miles across the state of Iowa at the end of July over the course of seven days. Now, the way I set that up made it sound really hard and really challenging But it wasn't, it isn't as bad as it sounds. So there were people of all shapes and sizes, and I mean that, of all ages, and probably of all kind of physical um, strength. I mean, there were some people there who looked like they were training for, uh, you know, the Tour de France. And there were people who looked like they were training for the Tour de Donuts on this thing. Okay? But so this was my goal. My goal was to, to, to ride this, To ride all of it, and mainly to persevere and to ride all of my own miles. So here's how this works. On the first day, you know, you camp out, and you get up in the morning, and the sun comes up, and there's all these other riders that they're with you, and you got on your you know your new riding clothes, and your bike is all shined up, and it's oiled and it's lubed, and and there is this part right at the beginning where I literally, as I'm on my bike and I'm pedaling, I actually started crying. Because this whole, all, the, the way Ragbri Ragbry is a ride across the state of Iowa. It's the oldest and largest uh, ride across the state in, in the country. And they purposely go through all these small towns. And so when 10,000 bike riders show up in your small town of 1,000 people, you're going to make some money. In your town and you're going to raise some money for your church or whatever so they're thrilled to have you so you get up on the first morning and there's flags out and i'm on my bike at like quarter to six and there are people lining the roads just regular workaday joes and they're applauding and they're like yeah go thanks for coming you're gonna do great and the wind is nice and i'm feeling good and i've had a great breakfast and i think to myself man this is This is going to be awesome. This is going to be a piece of cake. And then after about mile 20, you realize that you have 400 miles to go. And there's the hills. And did I mention it was late July in Iowa? There's the heat and the humidity. And then occasionally there's the wind. And then sometimes there's the rain. And then there's the people. And the people are great, you're riding with these people, but included in these people are people who, shall we say, don't know how to ride in large groups. and Don't know how to pick a speed and stay with it. Don't know how to pick a lane and stay in it. And then there are the people who've stopped in every town for one, two, three, or four beers and can't ride in a straight line. And so you're, you're trying to dodge them as well. And then there's your own body, which after the first couple days your body is telling your mind, hey, I'm pretty sure you've overcommitted us on this deal. Because <laughs> your, your thighs and your quads are feeling like they're wound about as tight as they can possibly be. And you're like, oh, this is not bad. I only have 350 miles to go. And you're sleeping on hard ground and you think, oh man, I don't know if I can make it. And then on the last day, so when you're riding a bike and you're riding like 20 miles an hour, for a short period of time, I can't ride that fast all the time, but for a short period of time, riding 20, 20, 22 miles an hour, and you hit a crack in the road on your last day with 30 miles to go, there is only one thing that happens, and that is you go onto the road because you crash. And that's what I did. So I'm bleeding in my arm, bleeding in my leg, and people are like, hey, you want, you want the sag wagon? And I thought, oh, I'm not taking the SAG wagon. So the SAG wagon is, is the wagon of shame. It is, it, is, it is a van or a few vans that ride along following rag riders who decide, I either don't want to or I'm not able to finish this race today. Maybe tomorrow, but not today. And when it's raining and you're bleeding and you're thinking to yourself, maybe the SAG wagon, but I'm like, I'm not taking the SAG wagon. Like, my goal was to do this whole thing all by myself and to persevere. And so I taped up the arm, taped up the leg, straightened the bike up a little bit, and, and I finished. And when you finish, you get to dip your, dip your wheel in the Mississippi River, you get to hold your bike above your head, and you get to say, I did it, I persevered, I obtained what I came to get. And I did. I persevered in something that was going to be really hard, I didn't know if I could finish it, for a week. That was, it was a week. It was a week. How do you persevere when something's longer than a week? Like marriage, raising kids, caring for a parent, trying to get your PhD, or trying to follow Christ. How do we, how do we persevere in that? See, the thing is, is life is a lot like There There is these periods where when you were starting off... Everything seems easy. There's people cheering us on. All of the equipment is working well. We're working well. And it's wonderful. And the sun is out. But then there's these long extended periods at times when it's not that way. Where the equipment's breaking down where we're dealing with difficult people, where we're dealing with just difficult situations, and we think to ourselves, how can I go on? How can I possibly even finish? I don't know if, maybe, maybe I should just count halfway as good. And may, maybe you've been there. So the difficulty with persevering through life is by its very definition, persevering is hard. It is hard, and it is difficult, and Paul knows that, which is why he wrote Philippians because he knows that the people who are reading this are saying, I want a significant life. How do I have a significant life? And Paul wants to tell them. He's he's talking to people like Lydia, a seller of purple, who's heard of of Christ and and has received him, to a Philippian jailer, to all these Gentile people who are now being included in the good news of the gospel. And they're saying, well, how can I I do this thing that you're calling me to? And Paul says, persevere. We're, We're called... To persevere, And so in this section, what Paul's laying out is not this path on how to, how to succeed at ragbri, or even to succeed in raising children or marriage, but something far greater. How, how to persevere through the Christian life. And so what Paul writes him is, Paul says, in order to persevere through life, you need a worthy goal. We need a worthy goal. Not, not an inspiring goal, because lots of goals are inspiring not even an achievable goal, because there's lots of goals that are achievable, and Paul's not talking about having an achievable goal. What Paul wants them to do is Paul says, in order to persevere, you need to have a worthy goal. And so here's what he says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. So Paul gives this picture of he's pressing on towards some goal, and maybe we're asking ourselves, okay, well, what are you pressing on towards? And to get that answer, what we have to do is we have to just remind ourselves once again that each one of these sections that Jeff and I are preaching on, they're not separate. They're part of a, they're part of a whole letter that was designed to be read and intended to be read to a congregation in its fullness all at once. Okay, so we're, we're chopping it up, but, and each one of them has various applications which we're trying to focus on, but the whole thing goes together. So when Paul says, I'm pressing on towards this goal that I have not obtained, what is he talking about? Because he says, not that I have already obtained this, and we ask, what is the this you're talking about? And the way to do this is to just back up, just as as Chris Berman would say, go back, 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 back. And we see it, Paul says, in Philippians, In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness that comes from the law, but that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So here's what Paul's saying. The goal that he's pressing for, there are certain parts of this that he has already obtained. He says, I count all things lost in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And so what we talked about last week is that's already happened. Once you put our faith, as Christians, we believe that when we put our faith in Christ, we are in him and we have gained him. And so that, Paul, that is Paul's. And then Paul talked about, I, I don't, I could, I could have, I could say, that when you look at my life as a Pharisee, according to the law, I was righteous. I was blameless. I had achieved what the law was—the observable law was saying that I should do. If you looked at my life during the most recent period of time as a Pharisee, you would say he's good. And Paul says, "I don't count that as anything. That righteousness is worth nothing compared to the righteousness that the righteousness of God that comes to me because of because of Christ, because of His work." And so Paul already has that. So what is it that Paul is still waiting for? What is it that Paul is still missing? And it's this. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible, I may attain, attain the resurrection from the dead. This is what I would say is what Paul means when he says the upward call of God in Christ. This is the prize that he wants. This is what he's looking for. To be perfected in Christ. Paul is pressing on towards this goal of being perfected in Christ at the resurrection. That's his goal. Everything else is nothing for him. The goal that he has is to be perfected fully in Christ. And Remember when he writes this, he's, he's in prison and he's suffering. And he's pretty sure he's getting out. But he's not completely convinced but he's pretty sure and so he's like I'm, I'm willing to suffer and there's this whole section in in second corinthians that talks about what paul went through he was shipwrecked he was in danger from robbers in danger on the journey in danger from this in danger from that shipwreck hitting it hit in the head left for dead all of these things he has endured he's pressing on this is the goal the goal is is to be perfected in Christ. This is, this is the one thing that he wants, to be ultimately perfected in Christ at the end of his life's journey. So what about other goals? Does that mean that Paul is saying that having goals at work don't matter, having goals at child-rearing doesn't matter, having goals of education doesn't matter? Like no other goals. We, should, we shouldn't have any other goals. Uh, That's not what Paul's saying. What Paul's saying is that this is the one, the main goal that he's shooting for and every other goal that it's right for us to have to raise our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, to have a healthy, happy, flourishing and productive marriage, to work, to, to flourish in our workspace. These are all appropriate goals, but they're not the end goal. These are goals that we pursue through pursuing the goal of being perfected in Christ. We don't have to say I don't have any other goals. What we have to say is all of my goals, all of my goals are seen through the lens that the one goal that I have, my primary goal, the goal that is worthy, the goal that matters is to be found in Christ, to be perfected in him at the end. So it's all about order. And so Paul's message to them is in order to persevere, you need to have a worthy goal. And in order to persevere, we have to have enduring effort. And this, this phrase, enduring effort, is really, if you think about it, it's what perseverance, it's what we think about when we think of perseverance. We think about enduring effort, about putting forth effort, and, you know, getting, getting through. And, and that's what Paul says right here. It's the whole, whole meaning of this. Now, if most of us, if we've been in the church for a while, especially if we're reformed, We hear that word, enduring effort, and all of our alarm bells start going off. And we say, oh, he's about to talk about works righteousness, which is code for that we think that our work is what makes us be able to be acceptable to God. And Paul has already cleared that up for us. Paul has already said, I don't want a righteousness. I count the righteousness that comes from obeying the law as nothing— What I really want is the righteousness that comes from God. So he's not saying this is not about works righteousness. But now the difficulty for us is we do have to hear this word work and understand what Paul means. So he doesn't mean that by doing good things, by obeying your parents, by treating your children well. See, there's both sides there. By doing what we're supposed to do, we're, we're not, we're not, that doesn't make us acceptable to the Lord. Okay, that, that's not what he's saying. But he is saying work. He's saying it. The Christian life is work. Life is work. We're not supposed to sit around. Paul does not give us a picture of sitting around and waiting for Christ to come back going, well, you know, just kind of waiting. That, that's not anywhere in Scripture. There's no picture of that. And so we have to be able to say, not works righteousness, our works don't make us acceptable, but we are called to work. And it's exactly what Paul says, he desires to obtain it. He clearly thinks that he, whatever it is that he's wanting, this being perfected in Christ, he doesn't have it yet. And twice he says, he says in verse 12, not that I've already obtained this or am being made perf- or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. And then in verse 14, he says, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. So in in the language that we have here is this language of obstacles. And so Jeff over here has gone with some of you guys and done something that I would never do. So I would be willing to ride my bicycle 418 miles across the state of Iowa. I would never in a million years do a Tough Mudder. Because that seems ridiculous to me. The idea of of running through mud and underneath barbed wire and climbing over things and potentially injuring yourself, that to me seems like a horrible idea. So if you're ever thinking of inviting me, know that my answer already is, there is no way I would ever do that. But you guys enjoy yourself. But this is the language that Paul has in mind for you that you're pressing on, that, okay, well, that obstacle was hard. The mud pit was hard. The climbing the fence, that was hard, but I'm, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep pressing on. You can't get this picture of somebody pressing on by sitting in a chair. I'm just, here I am sitting, pressing on, pressing the remote, pressing on, pressing up to CNN or whatever show I want to watch. No, it's, it's, it's physical work, and he even intensifies it when he says this. Straining towards what lies ahead. This is all about this language of effort. And Here's the good news that you're waiting for. What Paul is talking about here, this pressing on and straining applies to all of life. Paul's talking about his experience in extending the life-changing love of Jesus Christ in our homes, in our workplaces, in our communities. So pressing on for Paul has applications in all of these areas. He's talking about pressing on through evangelism. He's talking about pressing on through offering justice to people who don't have it. He's talking about pressing on by offering mercy to people who you don't want to offer mercy to. He's talking about pressing on by working in a relationship that is difficult and that is really, really eating you up and pressing on in that. He's talking about repenting over and over and over and over again for the sin in your own life that keeps getting in your way, messing things up at work, messing things up at home, messing things up with friends, and saying, you know what? Th- this is me pressing on. This is me repenting again. This is me apologizing again. This is me forgiving again. This, this is what the pressing on is. This is me getting up again this morning, going to work, Knowing that I'm not going to be noticed and I'm not going to be the accolades that I deserve, because I'm working hard and I'm doing good things, knowing that I'm not going to get those, I'm pressing on. Because my goal is not to be recognized at church, at work. My goal is to be perfected in Christ. And so I'm going to get out of bed again today, and I'm going to go do this thing. And I'm going to press on through dealing with a difficult teenager who seems like when I speak in English, they hear it in Swahili, which they don't speak, (laughs) which explains why they don't do what I say. And we're going to remember that we're called by Scripture not to exasperate our children. That's what pressing on is. Children, part of this is for you. Pressing on for you means the fact that you live in a house with parents who believe this. Now, listen up, kids. This is an important part. Okay, I'm going to let you in on something that all of us as parents already know, but maybe you don't. Your parents maybe have kept this from you. So I'm about to let you in on a big secret. Are you ready? Are you listening up, kids? Your parents make mistakes and are not perfect. They will actually make mistakes in raising you. And at times they will have to say, you know what, I totally blew that and I'm really sorry. And part of you pressing on towards the goal of Christ is you living in a home with a parent who's a flawed person. There's something in this prayer. This is the enduring effort that Paul is talking about. And so we have to ask ourselves, is this how we see life? Do we see life as not sitting in a chair, but enduring, of pressing on, of straining towards this goal? And this is, this is a real kind of mental check for us. Is this how we see life? Some of us have to ask this question, is this where our effort is going? Is our effort, is our primary effort going to our job and our kids and our, our marriages and our effort should go there? Or is our primary effort Going to Christ, going to be perfected in him. Is is that where we see this is all of my energy. It's going towards that goal through all of these things. And notice this. Paul doesn't just talk about physical, physical, enduring physical effort. He talks about enduring mental effort. He says this. uh, Let those of us who are mature think this way. So he's even saying, I need you to think this way, that enduring effort is mental effort of, of remembering this. That it's about having this prop, this worthy goal. That the goal is about being perfected in Christ. I need you to remember to think this way. And that it's about enduring effort. It's not about just sitting on the sidelines. But I love this. I love what he says here. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anyone thinks otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Also let us hold true to what we have obtained. uh, He says, for many uh, walk as, as enemies of the Christ, uh, or as, as enemies of Christ, and he tells them to forgetting what lies behind, forgetting what lies behind. So this for us, this is maybe the mental block here. This is where our mind goes. Well, this, you know the sin that I've committed. Do you know the sin that's going on in my own life right this very minute. There, I just, that's all I can. Th- I can't. I uh, there's no way. And Paul says, no. Listen, th- think this way think about the goal. The goal is being perfected in Christ. Think, think this way. And for some of us, the th- our thinking and our thoughts go to everything that we've left behind. This is what Paul talks about. Well, but, but what I was really, really kind of wanting most was to be revered at my job and to have perfect children, and to have these things. And Paul's like, no, no, listen, I need you to focus I need you to focus on this. Think this way. Don't don't think about what you've left behind. Think about what you're heading towards in the cross. So it requires a worthy goal. It requires enduring effort. And it requires reliable examples. And Paul, as only Paul can do, says, take me for example. I love this about Paul. Paul says, you need reliable examples. Take me for example. Now, if Ted Powers were here, and you would say, oh, are we supposed to do what Paul does? Are we supposed to go out and plant churches? paul would ted powers would say yes you probably should go go plant churches like paul but that's that's really not what paul means paul is not expecting that everybody who reads this is going to write letters and travel around and plant churches what paul wants you to do is do what he's done which is to be willing to say i count everything i had as loss for the sake of christ that that's where my effort is that's where my mind is i count everything as lost for this And, and i'm willing to suffer in order to keep that in front of me. That's what Paul's saying. And then he says, and and look to others too, like focus on others. He says, keep your eyes on them. People like Timothy and Epaphroditus and Luke who have traveled with him, who they know. Pick out people in your own town and and use them as examples of how to live. I have examples. I have, there are two main people that I think to myself, these are my examples. And they are the president And Mr. Reagan, these are are my two main people that I try to live like. It's amazing how there's a total hush in here right now. (laughs) Of course, the president I'm talking about is Jed Bartlett from the West Wing, whose character is perfectly written by Aaron Sorkin, right? And he leads with this dignity and grace, and he's flawed, and he makes mistakes. But he inspires confidence and he knows where he's going and he's, he's, his faith deeply shapes him and he, he's trying to lead a, a group of people, a staff, not let alone a country, in constantly changing environments. And so the, the president, Jed Bartlett, who's completely fictitious. And of course the Mr. Reagan I mean is, is Frank Reagan who is the commissioner of the, of the New York City Police Department who is played perfectly by Tom Selleck former Magnum P.I., on Blue Bloods. He, he leads the New York City Police Department perfectly, and again, his faith is informing him. He's unwavering. He's able to make these kind of just fantastic decisions, and he leads firmly, and people look to him for guidance. And the only difficulty with these two wonderful examples is they're not real. They're totally made-up characters that some writer said, wouldn't it be great if the president was this way? yes it would be great if this is the way the president was ideal in every way wouldn't it be great if the new york city police commissioner was this? yes but those aren't those aren't real examples and so i have others i have pastor friends of mine who i look to and say i need to know how you did this how do you do this because right now i'm feeling completely inadequate like i can't keep going and i look to them and it's very helpful for me so again who are, who are our examples? Who are the people we're following? Because the people who we follow will determine where we end up, won't they? The people we follow determine who, where we end up, and that's, that's what Paul is calling them to do. He knows that their eyes wander too, which is why he says, oh hey, I know that you're going to also see the wicked. You're going to look around, and you're going to see these people, and you're going to think to yourself, maybe I should follow them, because they're, everything they do seems to be going well, so why don't I just follow them, which is why we have Psalm 73. I would encourage you this week to read Psalm 1, which says, if you do everything good, everything you do prospers. And then read Psalm 73, which says, hey, I did everything good, and everything's not prospering at all. In fact, the wicked are prospering, and my life couldn't be worse. And Paul says, let me tell you something about those people. Their end is destruction. They might look good now, but their end is destruction. And so we have to have good examples. And so maybe you're here and you're saying to yourself, okay, I'm doing all that. I, I, I do have Christ as my goal. I, I am giving enduring effort every day. Every day I'm doing this. I think I have good examples. And you know what? I'm exhausted. And I don't think I can make it. And I don't know if I can go on one more day. I don't know if there's any hope. And this is the last point. Not only to have a worthy goal and enduring effort and reliable examples, but we need a gracious gospel. And this is what Paul's been saying the entire time. Notice that he says in verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or already been made perfect, but I press on to make it my own because... Christ Jesus has already made me his own. Already not in there, but that's what Paul says. I'm already his. Christ has already made me his own. He says in verse 16, I, uh, in verse 16, only let us hold true to what we have already obtained, that you already have. What is already obtained? Knowledge of the gospel. You already have it. Hold fast to this knowledge of the gospel. Christ has already made you his. Yes, you need a worthy goal. Yes, you need enduring effort. Yes, you need reliable examples. But this is the one goal that you cannot and will not attain despite whatever effort you put out and whatever examples you follow unless Christ Has already done the work for you. And that's what he tells him to remember. Christ has already made you his own. You have already obtained this knowledge of the gospel that we get. We get this perfection in Christ, not because of our effort, not because of our examples, but because of the work of God. That's why he's able to say, Our citizenship. Is already in heaven. You're already members of this, of this kingdom. You're not going to be someday. He said, like, This is this is where your membership is already. So when you, if you're reformed, been reformed for a while, you've heard this phrase, perseverance of the saints, and you say, What does that mean? It means this. It means that our goal is to be perfected in Christ. It means that we're called to put forth an enduring effort and to have reliable examples but that we know that we get there not because of our work, not because of our works or effort, but because Christ Jesus has already made us his. We have already obtained this knowledge of the gospel, which is why Paul can say to live is Christ and to die is gain. He wins. So if you're struggling, if you're wondering how can I make it through, hear this good news this morning. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. This is coming your way, folks. If we we believe in Christ, this this is your hope. Life is hard. Marriage is hard. Raising kids is hard. Being raised by parents is hard. This is what's coming your way who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. And then Paul closes with this. How do I stand for, how do How do we persevere? Paul says this. Paul says, Therefore my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm in the gospel. This is what it means to have a a gospel persevering life. Set your eyes on being perfected in Christ. This is our goal. Strain and strive and press on towards it, keeping our minds thinking the right way, knowing, knowing that this is the outcome that we absolutely have not because of what we do, but because of what Christ promises and has already done for us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for the gospel, a gospel which is full of hope, full of hope for us, Lord. Father, set our minds on the cross, set our minds on being perfected in Christ. And Father, we thank you that we have already been obtained by you. And Father, for those who are here this morning, who maybe you're visiting and maybe hearing the gospel for the first time, Father, we, we, we ask that they would consider even today putting their faith and trust in you and in the work that you have done for them, of obtaining them for yourself, that you want them to come to you, Lord, and so we pray that they would do that this very morning. Father, for all of this, we pray in your son's name, amen. In your bulletin, you'll find our confession of sin. A confession of sin simply reminds us that we're broken and flawed people and that we're forgiven. So follow along in the bold. Oh God, you have shown us the way of life through your son, Jesus Christ. We confess with shame our slowness to learn of him, our failure to follow him, and our reluctance to bear the cross. Have mercy on us, Lord, and forgive us. We confess the poverty of our worship, our neglect of the fellowship and the means of grace, our hesitating witness for Christ, our evasion of responsibilities in our service, and our imperfect stewardship of your gifts. Have mercy on us, Lord, and forgive us. Amen. And he has. That's the good news. Hear this from Colossians. And now... Who once, you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, rejoice, your sins are forgiven."